Amen. Well, good evening, church family. It is uh, great to see you tonight and good to be a part of, of Rosedale. As, as Aaron was mentioning, there's a lot of, of heavy things uh, that, are, that are going on all around us. And even just this week, a lot of heaviness in, in hearts. And as he spoke of Sunday, uh, Scott Winter with their family just kind of hearing the news of, of the seriousness of his dad's condition. I'll tell you, it was a blessing to me as a friend of his, to see the different church members that were approaching him and approaching his family that day and just being an encouragement, stopping to just put a hand on his shoulder and, and pray for him and to be there in that time where he, could, he was obviously uh, having a hard time with it. And that's what the church is all about. Um, we have those opportunities where God places people on our hearts uh, to pray over or to pray for in that moment. Um, man, we need to say yes to the Holy Spirit in those times. And I'm thankful for those who did on Sunday because uh, it was a blessing to me as a church member to see that, see that happen. So let's continue to do that. Well, it is a privilege to be able to uh, speak tonight. I feel like it's a, it's a rare occurrence uh, to get a chance to do that. And so I just want to thank, I know Pastor Tool is not here tonight, but I just want to thank him publicly uh, for allowing the opportunity to speak. Um, anytime uh, I get to preach the Word of God, it's a privilege. And we're so thankful for Rosedale uh, our family has been here uh, nine, about nine months now, so not that long. We're still getting to know a lot of the people here and still getting to, to build relationships. But overall, we have really enjoyed just getting, getting soaked into the Rosedale family. I just want to say thank you for welcoming us. Um, it's a privilege to serve alongside uh, so many awesome staff members here, but then also just volunteers and church members, and so we absolutely love it. Um, I wanted to tell you a story. We actually we came from Florida and um, so when we were decided to move and we're actually making the move up to Maryland, um, we had a long drive. I think it was like, I think it was 14 hours, 16 hours, something like that. So with a one-year-old and a three-year-old and then a dog, it was quite the journey. Um, we had never done a big trip like that. And so we, we braved it. We stopped in South Carolina after driving all day and then went from South Carolina to Maryland. And, you know, there's a lot of stress when you have, you know, young kids in the car and then a dog who doesn't normally travel. So, you know, it was like for me as the person who does all the driving, are, now, how many of you in the room, like, you do all the driving when you go on a trip? Is that, is that you? Okay. How many of you are passengers when you're driving? Okay, so you have no stress at all. It's great. Unless your driver's bad. But um, I think my wife is not stressed when I drive. But anyways, we made it. There was all these opportunities where the dog could have jumped in my lap. He didn't. Our boys were going crazy. But we made it. And we pull into Maryland, and I noticed your parking spots, the parking spots in Florida are like this big. And the parking spots in Maryland are like half the size, right? So I'm parking in a parking garage, which is also new to me, and finally made it to our Airbnb. We're parking in the parking garage in this like two-inch space here, getting our car in, and I hit a parking pylon. As soon as we get here, I'm like, man, are you kidding me? We made it this whole trip, and I ran into a pylon. So we had to get stuff fixed, insurance. It was, it was a mess. But God provided safety, and we're glad that we're here. We're glad we made it, and I'm getting used to the parking, and so is my wife. So um, as we jump in tonight, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 14. So if you can, take your Bible out, um, turn it on, whatever you need to do, and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. And as you turn there, um, I'd like for us just to pray once again, ask for God to use his word uh, to be a blessing in our hearts. So let's pray. God, uh, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to be here tonight and to study your word. Um, God, as we've gone through this book of Deuteronomy, it's just been incredible the things that you've shown us 
um, that maybe we wouldn't have seen before. And thank you for our pastor and just his diligence to study the Word and present the Word well and in a way that can be applicable to our lives. And so tonight, um, God, as we dig into this passage, I pray that you allow it to do the same thing, that your Word would not return void as is promised, and you'd allow us to walk out of here changed uh, because of what we've read tonight. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight is, actually brings us almost to the halfway point of Deuteronomy. There's 34 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be going through chapter 14 through chapter 16 tonight. And yes, I said that right. Three chapters, all right? So buckle up, hang on. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, so follow along. But in case you've missed a week or two, or maybe you're just jumping into Deuteronomy, this is your first time, um, let me give you just a little bit of context. So the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses right before he died. Historically, the book happens in one location, as Moses is writing, and within a one-month period of time. So it doesn't cover a lot of ground. Originally, it was written to the second generation of Israel, those who were uh, about 40 years after their exodus of the land of Egypt. So Israel was brought out. So this, this uh, book was written to those who would have been like children or teenagers when the exodus was happening. When Moses penned the book of Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel was just about to begin their journey into the land of Canaan. So this book was kind of like the final reminders of some of the laws that the nation of Israel had been given by God. But then also he was giving them some application of, hey, as you go into the promised land, this is how you are to act. This is how you are supposed to be as you inherit the land of promise. So Moses is repeating some points that are important to God. Let's start in chapter 14, verse number 1. He says, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Now this phrase, the Lord your God, is actually found about 250 times in the book of Deuteronomy. So he was wanting the children of Israel to remember, you are of the Lord your God. The Lord is your God. The Lord is a personal God to you. He's reiterating, he's repeating, re-emphasizing some important points for his children to remember. And don't we do that sometimes with our own kids or people that are close to us? We have to say things over and over again to get the point across. I'm thankful that God does that to me because I don't usually remember things the first time. It takes me a while to kind of catch on to things. And this is what God is doing all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Sometimes even we see him repeating himself. It's, hey, The children of Israel, as we know, just like ourselves, sometimes can be stubborn, can be hard-hearted, can can need that extra prodding. And so this is what the Lord does. I think of even um, with my youngest son, Cole. He is, uh, he just turned two in January, and um, he doesn't, he keeps eating the dog food, all right? It's a real problem. So we feed him well, like we, Abby's a good cook, you know, we, we, we got goldfish in the house, fruit snacks. Um, you know, anything that a kid would want at two years old, like we have it, but he still goes for the dog food. And so many times I'm like, Cole, we don't eat the dog food. Can you say it with me? We do not eat the dog food. And he'll repeat it. And then like two minutes later, he goes and eats the dog food. So I I think the children of Israel could be related to Cole and related to myself as well. Maybe he is an Israelite children. I'm not sure. But ye are the children of the Lord. Look at verse two. He says, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord had chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are on the earth. So 
this is a very endearing term to the nation of Israel. He says, hey, you are a chosen people. And because God has chosen you, he's also calling you to a higher calling. He's calling you to be a holy people, a people that is set apart, that it looks different from the other nations. We are the children of God. If you've trusted in Christ Jesus as your Savior tonight, that is you. You are a child of God. My, my kids are singing a song right now in the car over and over again. They say, I'm a child of the Most High God and the Most High God's for me. And they repeat that over and over again. This is the children of Israel. Fact number two is God wants his kids to live differently and to be different. This is kind of the groundwork for where we're going to go tonight is you're supposed to have distinctions and differences. This passage is all about distinctions and differences. God wants his kids to live differently and to be different. You see, if we have no differences with the world, if we look the part, if we act the part, if we blend in as a part, then we may want to check to see if we are that set-apart people unto the Lord. In Deuteronomy 14, God repeats some points of importance to his kids, specifically about distinctions and differences. So here's the first area, is God's children are to be distinct in their spiritual diet. If you're taking notes tonight, I think there's a blank section there, is we are to be distinct in our spiritual diet. Look at verse number 3. He says, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the hart, the roebuck, and the fallow deer, the wild goat, and the pie guard. I think that's some type of a mountain goat, and the wild ox, and the camoas, another type of goat. Verse 6, And every, beat that, every beast that parteth the hoof and cleaveth the cleft into two claws. That's how the beast walks. And cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall you eat. That's what he eats. So these are the dietary laws of the Israelite nation. If we were going to go down, we won't read all the verses, but if you look in verse number 11 down through 18, you get to see like a wide variety of birds that God says that they are not, or that they are um, not to eat of. Also, we see in uh, verse number 19 through, t- through uh, 21, he continues that list. And so these are the dietary laws. They're given specifically for the Jews physically, but they have spiritual applications to us. See, what we take in, what I eat, affects me physically. What I take in, what I digest, also affects me spiritually. Have you noticed how careful people are these days about what they eat? Um, and that's, that's not a bad thing, right? There's some of us who are like, um, we can eat anything and it may not affect. There's others who um, may not be that way, but there's some who are very into like health foods and whole foods and Man, if I go into a Whole Foods restaurant, I just get stressed. Or it's not even a restaurant. See, I don't even know. I don't ever go. It's a, it's a store. If I go there, I just get stressed out seeing all the different t- topics and all the different foods. It's just like, what is it? What is this? Just give me the basics. But some people are very strict, and some people have to be very strict about their diet. Organic or not organic? Does it have MSGs or not? Is it white sugar or is it natural? Is it saturated or unsaturated? So people will be very careful physically many times about what we eat. But when it comes to spiritual things, we'll physically sit down and watch a show that defames our Lord or that promotes immorality or uses words that maybe we should even be blushing at. We can end up incredibly healthy physically and focused on the outside, but incredibly sick spiritually. We see from the distinction that that God has given the Israelites that we have to govern what we take in. We have to regulate what we digest. Proverbs says this. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, 
Then in, first, in 2 Peter 2 verse 8, it says, For that righteous man which was Lot dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So we understand as, as God's people, we have to be careful. We may not have the dietary restrictions anymore that the Israelites have, but we still have to be careful and govern what we take in spiritually, regulate what we digest. Here's the question that I, I know as a youth pastor I used to get asked a lot, is, well, how do we know what to take in and what to leave out? There's a lot of things that this world bombards us with, messaging in all kinds of different media outlets and different ways, is how do we know what to take in and what to leave out, what to digest and what to separate from? One of the most helpful books, um, obviously besides Scripture, that is a help to Scripture, is this, this book called Worldliness, Resisting the uh, Seduction of a Fallen World. It's by C.J. Mahaney. And in fact, he, we did an entire series on it when I was a youth pastor. But in this book, he actually gives an example of, of why Thomas Jefferson came up with the Jefferson Bible. I'd never heard this story, but apparently Thomas Jefferson um, took a Bible and he took a pair of scissors and cut out the passages that he didn't think he wanted to live by. Or things that he said, uh, I don't know if I really want to believe in this. Hell, mm, that's, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't like that one. God's wrath against sin, yeah, we'll, we'll cut that out. Uh, distinction, and he literally had a Bible that had holes in it and, and called it the Jefferson Bible. And while as Christians, we would see that as blasphemous, we'd see that as, oh no, we would never physically cut that out. But many times mentally, there's passages of Scripture that we say, hmm, I like that one, but this one, I, I, I'll, I'll be okay. This one I think I can, I can, I can go by. Um, one of the verses I think that many cut out is 1 John 2.15. Not physically, but mentally. 1 John 2.15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. This distinction, this difference. In the English language, this verse is an imperative statement. Are there any English teachers in here? Anybody at all? Okay. I didn't particularly enjoy English as well, but imperative means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. God is saying, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. As Christians, God has called us to be distinct, to be different. There's no exception clause based on age, based on, on status, our reputation, or position in the church. We are all susceptible to worldliness creeping in our lives. And so God gives us these guardrails to stay in so that we can stay in step with him and walk with him. He says, love not the world. Do you remember the guy named Demas? Remember Demas from the, from the New Testament? Demas was a ministry partner with Paul. Demas was a guy who helped spread the gospel. He strengthened churches. He was just getting started with Paul. And he saw God do amazing things as, as some of these churches were just getting off the ground. However, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, he gave a chilling update on Demas. He said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So we see this guy who had all this potential. He was doing all the right things. He was leading the church. He was seeing souls saved. But then when, when Paul later re recounts his, his life, he said he fell away. Why is that? Because he loved this present world. What happened, Demas? You were living a life of impact. You were doing great things for God. You were leading people, but he began to drift. He began to love the world. I want to read an excerpt um, from this book that I hope will be a help tonight. It's just one page. It says this, 
says, We all know a Demas, someone who, like a spiritual meteorite, burned bright with the love of Christ for a while, then suddenly, or so it seemed, faded from fellowship and turned their back on Christ, or fell into serious sin, leaving all to wonder what happened. So often we're ignorant of the signs, the symptoms of worldliness. People can be attending church, singing the songs, apparently listening to the sermons, no different on the outside than they've always been. But inside, that person is drifting. He or she sits in church but is not excited to be there. He or she sings songs without affections. They listen to preaching without conviction, hears but does not choose to apply. A love for the world begins in the soul. It's subtle. It's not always immediately obvious to others and often undetected by the people who are slowly succumbing to its lies. It begins with a dull conscience and a listless soul. Sin does not grieve like it once did. Passion for the Savior begins to cool. Affections grow dim. Excitement lessens for participating in the local church. Eagerness to evangelize starts to waste. Growth in godliness slows to a crawl. These are all the signs of someone who maybe was not saying, oh, I'm going to cut these verses out of my Bible. But just like the Israelites, instead of living a life of distinction, God has called us to do this. We decide to compromise or we decide to drift into these areas and slowly our soul erodes away. I know, honestly and transparently, I found myself there way too many times. I found myself sitting through a church service and going through the motions. But as God's people, we are called to be different. We're called to set up those boundaries that keep us from being stained by the world. Look at verse number, um, number 7. Uh, actually, let's go, go down to verse number uh, 11. We'll just read through these very, very briefly. It says, Of all clean birds ye shall eat, but these are they which shall not eat, the eagle, the ostrich, the osprey. We, he continues going on. Let's jump to verse number 19. Every creeping thing that flieth is unclean to you, and they shall not be eaten. But all the clean fowls you may eat. Verse 21. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Ye shall give it unto the stranger. Oh, that sounds nice. That is in thy gates that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. This was, I was reading this, I'm like, wow, we go through this list, and then there's like this random, you shall not burn, boil somebody in their mother's milk. Um, apparently, that was a, a pagan practice to other gods, and so it's not just a random thing. He's talking about being set apart. Charles Spurgeon once said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. May we not be a church that has the world creeping in. May we be a people who is set apart unto God. Remember, ye are the children of the Lord your God. He wants us to be different and to have a distinction from the world. We're, verse 2, we're a holy people, a peculiar people. I've chosen you to live a distinctly different life. So first, he talks about our spiritual diet. Here's the second one. He also talks about we're to be distinct in our submissive giving. The first distinguishes us from the world by what we take in, physically and spiritually. But the second goes to our heart and talks about where we place our heart financially. Look at verse number 22 of chapter, uh, chapter 14. He says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed. Thou shalt truly tithe. The world is spending their money on many different things. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. 
But we know that the wise, those who are spiritually wise, are investing in God's work. Laying up for themselves treasures in heaven, as Matthew 6 says. God says, don't partially give, don't half-heartedly give, but truly tithe of all the increase. Let's keep reading, verse number 23. It says, And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, and the firstlings of thine herds and thy flocks. And thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go into the place where the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, for strong drink, or whatsoever thy soul desireth, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. Thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gate, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gate shall come, and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all thy work of thine hand which thou doest. So God is saying that his money is to be given to his house at that place where he's chosen, chosen to place his name. It's amazing when we go through all the different tithes that they were required. You know, the, the first tithe that would go to the, to the Levites and the, to support the priests. And there was a tithe that would go of their fields, which we see at verse number 22. Then every third year, there was another tithe that was set apart. And if you add all the different percentages up, some scholars say that it was around 26% of their income that were given to these things. You know, um, the Bible speaks a lot about sacrificial giving, and we know that the heart of the matter is because God has given so much to us, it's that we give back to Him. We give back to see His work accomplished in what we believe is through the local church. You know, I'm not sure how we have all learned in different ways about what giving looks like, and obviously um, God has specific instructions for the Israelites, but I'm thankful personally that from a young age, um, my parents taught me about giving. And they taught me how, how to tithe. And I remember we had this little piggy bank, and it had a, it had a section for spending money, and it had a section for tithe, and it had a section for missionaries. And I think my parents could, like, take the labels off and change it to whatever, it, whatever they wanted it to be. I think sometimes it was saving instead of spending. But either way, we, when we got a ten, 10 bucks, it was like, hey, Scott, you need to put a dollar into the tithe, into the tithe jar. And so I didn't always like it. I wasn't always happy about having to do that because I wanted to go buy that next toy or whatever it was. But I'm thankful that from an early age, my parents helped me do that. Now that we have online giving, we have direct deposits, uh, we have recurring giving, and some methods have changed throughout the years. Um, one thing that's been helpful for my family is, uh, and I, I love online giving, we, we uh, take advantage of online giving um, personally, we haven't gone into recurring giving, and that's because we, we liked every, our, one of our habits, and this is not, this is just a openness to, for our family, not a, um, a bragging session or anything like that. I say that in humility, but when we have the opportunity to give um, and to give our tithes back to the Lord is we try to take a time where we gather as a family and we thank God, and we, before we click that button, whatever it is, you know, pay now or give now, 
is, God, thank you for blessing us this month. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, to, to have funds. And God, now as we give this back to you, we ask that you would bless the work and bless your church and may it go forth and be a blessing. And we're trying to now do that with our kids. They have no clue. They don't close their eyes during prayer. They're, they're trying to play with toys. You know, they're two and three, four years old. But we're trying to establish these habits in our home um, so that we can teach our kids that this money is not just for ours to do whatever we want with. At first, it goes to God. And we are to spend this and to give this of, of, of what he's done for us. And so God is giving us these things in, to the children of Israel in verse number 22. Distinctly remembering we're a peculiar people. First regards to our diet, our submissive giving. But then our third is this, our Sabbath resting. Our first is what we take in physically, spiritually. Our second is where we place our heart financially. And now is our approach to rest sabbatically. So if tithing shows that we trust God for our finances, resting shows I'm trusting God for my production. I had to meditate on that this week as I was studying through this. And and think about that one more time. If tithing shows I'm trusting God for my finances, having rest or a Sabbath shows I'm trusting God for my production. Look at chapter 15, verse number 1. It says, And at the end of every seven years thou shalt make a release And this is a manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth ought unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thine brother thy hand shall release. Verse 4, Save when there shall be no poor among you. For the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all these commandments which I command thee this day. For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as he promised thee. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. Verse 7, let's continue reading. If there be among you a poor man, or one of thy brethren with any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. And thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved, when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and all thy puttest thy hand unto. Verse 11, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, and thy poor, and to thy needy, and into thy land. So this Sabbath year, the seventh year, they, they were commanded to release all debts. I Man, as I was thinking through that this week, can you imagine being a lender? Um, that would not be a great thing for you. Can you imagine being the one who debt is, is forgiven? That's amazing. I'm thinking about sending this package or this passage to my mortgage company um, tomorrow. And uh, Churchill mortgage, mortgage can see this and say, hey, this is the, this, <laughs> when it comes to the seventh year, this 30-year mortgage is done. That would be amazing. Um, but they're probably not going to like that, so I probably won't do that. But with going into all the legal details, without going into all the details, um, we have to understand that some of these Jews were working the system. They were trying to still be in compliance to these laws, but to manipulate it to their advantage or, or not following 
at all. Part of the Sabbath rest was to give their servants rest, to give their cattle a rest, their family a rest. It was also to help with the poor. So not harvesting on the sabbatical year would help the poor amongst them. And so we see all these things that God has said Sabbath is okay. Sabbath is not just okay, it is commanded. Tithing is resting and relying on God financially. Sabbath is resting and relying on God productively. I know that many of us, and maybe I would identify as someone who enjoys work. Um, I enjoy trying to, to be as productive as I can throughout my day. But I am, I am continuing to learn and grow in this concept of Sabbath rest. And I don't have it all down. But I'm thankful there's a lot of good examples around that are helping me with that. But you know, Sabbath rest is something God says, hey, for your physical soul, we need it. But then also for our spiritual soul, we need it. We need to be able to rest, to take time to just trust God and say, God, I'm going to rest this day or I'm going to take a break right now and just trust that things are going to be okay. In Deuteronomy, um, we see this example. Look at verse number uh, 12, though. Let's continue reading chapter 15. Verse 12, it says, And if thy brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. You shall furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress. And that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. Verse 15. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I commanded thee this thing this day. I, I love here, just take a quick break. God always does things with purpose. God always does things on point to remind us of what we have been through. The children of Israel were released from their debts. Their debtor was the, their, 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 they were debtors to the Egyptian nation. And they were serving them. They were slaves. They were going through a terrible time in the, in the land of Egypt. But then God redeemed them. God set them free through Moses. And they were, they were allowed to go free. And now they are being examples of what they were given by God to those around them. And church, if that's not a gospel message, a gospel production proclamation to us, is the fact that we have been set free. We have been set free from our sin. We've been set free from the penalty of our sin. And so now we have the opportunity to tell others about that. And to be the example to others of what God has done for us. And this is what he was helping teach some of the Israel people. Let's continue reading verse number 16. And it shall be, if he, thy servant, say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee in thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl, and thrust it through his ear into the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservants thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been a worth a double hired servant to thee, in serving thee six years, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thou doest. So in verse 12 through 18, we see this example of a servant who was treated well. He was treated so well by his masters that he wanted to stay. He was willing to continue working for that master. And, but God, said the, or God told the Israelite people that the choice has to be up to the servant. We have, to, we have to kind of lay down our right of this person serving us and saying, hey, seven years are up. If you want to stay and continue serving me, feel free. But if not, you're free to go. And it was this release of um, control. It was this release of having somebody working under you and trusting that, hey, 
I'm going to release you because God's commanded it. My work may suffer. My crops may suffer for a time. But this is what God's commanded. So trusting God in our Sabbath rest. By faith, following God's word, not in the flesh, scheming and manipulating to make more. Let's continue on, though. Verse uh, number four, we know our, our spiritual diet, we're to be distinct. We're to be distinct in our submissive giving, distinct in our Sabbath resting, but now distinct in our special offerings. Look at verse number 19 of chapter 15. It says, All the firstling males that come out of thy herd and of thy flock, thou shalt sanctify unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work with the firstling of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God year by year in the place which the Lord shall choose, thou and thy household. And if there be any blemish therein, if there be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt eat it within thy gates, the unclean and the clean person shall eat it alike as the roebuck and as the heart. So God just continues giving distinctions. He says there's special diet, giving, resting, offerings. But then let's look in verse 16. He talks about a specific location, a sanctified location. This is in chapter 16. And this is a passive scripture. We're going to read this through, church, because as we go verse by verse through the scripture, it could be easy to kind of summarize and just, hey, man, this is, this is kind of what this says. But I'd like us to go ahead and read through the passage. And so we're going to start in, in verse number one of chapter 16. This is talking about the Passover. Verse 16, verse 1 says, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, which actually, which is kind of neat, would be around this time of year, the March and April months, um, that was what they referred to it in Egypt. After the exile, the month was called Nisan. So Abib and Nisan in Scripture are the same month or same period of time. The Lord thy God, look at verse 2, Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd, and the place where the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread wherewith, even the bread of affliction, for thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And we understand this, that this, this Passover observance every year for the Israelites was God saying, hey, this is a remembrance of what I've done for you. Remember the deliverance that I've given you. Remember where you were and now where you are because of me. And this is the purpose of Passover. Continue on in verse 4. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all thy coast seven days. Neither shall there anything of the flesh which thou sacrificed the first day at even remain night until the morning. Remain all night until the morning. Verse 5. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee. But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose... Let me back that up one more time. Read that again. But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Once again, where are they doing it? In the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt turn in the morning and go into thy tents. Six days shalt thou eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. Once again, speaking of Sabbath. So that's the Passover. He's, this, he's talking about this Passover was to, be, was to be observed in a sanctified, a set-apart location. And God is instituting this 
for the children of Israel. The next several verses talk about the Feast of Weeks. Look at verse number, I just lost my spot, verse number 9. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee. Begins to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. Thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with the tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, the Levite that was in thy gates, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow that are among you, in the place, once again, the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. Thou shalt observe to do these statues. So we have Passover was in a specific place. We have the Feast of Weeks, which have been 50 days after the Passover. This is in a specific location they were to go to. Here's the last one. You guys hanging in there? Here we are. Verse number 13. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have Passover. If pastor were here, he would say, can you say this with me? I'm going to try that. This may not work. It doesn't work very well for him sometimes, honestly. Uh, can you say this with me? Passover. Oh, I like that. I'm going to tell pastor you did it. All right, let's do this one. Feast of Weeks. Ready? Hey, all right. Everybody is not sleeping. Just Forrest in the back. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, verse number 13. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, and after that thou gatherest in thy corn and thy wine. Thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow that are within thy gates. Seven days thou shalt keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy increase and all the works of thy hands. A few more verses here. Three times a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. In the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, they shall not appear the Lord, before the Lord empty. Verse 17, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So under this old covenant, the Israelites were commanded to go to a specific location to offer these sacrifices to the Lord. We see the Passover. Can we try that again? Passover. We see the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. All right, we're going to remember that. I love it. So these three spots where the Israelites were supposed to go unto the Lord to sacrifice. They were to bring an offering. They were to go to this specific location. In the New Covenant, God has instituted the local church to be the way that believers regularly gather, the way they represent Christ in their community, the way we grow in our faith and practice the ordinance of the church, which is believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. I believe that through Scripture we can dogmatically say that God loves His church. We could even go a step further. God loves the local church. I love ministering within the structure of a church, being attached to God's church. The New Testament says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Christ said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I believe in the church. I believe we can be big on the church because Christ died for it. And so just as these Israelites were to go to a sanctified location, this spot to gather together to celebrate what God has done for them, so similarly, 
Every week at different times, we have the opportunity as a body of believers to come, to fellowship, to grow, to learn from God's word, but then also to be commissioned out to do the work of the Lord in all of our different communities. It is amazing when you think about all the different people that are represented in a body of Christ, all the different groups of people that we get to rub shoulders with throughout the week. Many of you, I'm jealous of. I have to work with a bunch of Christians all the time, all right? And that's, I mean, it's still great. But the truth is, like, many of you are with people who are lost on a daily basis in your workplace, um, even if you're retired in, in some, some of the different things that maybe you do throughout the week. And so God has all given us a sphere of influence as the local church goes out throughout the week to be a blessing and to be an influence on those around us. But I love Sundays. I love Wednesdays where we do get to come together as a body of believers to worship him, to learn, to encourage one another. And so I'm thankful just as the Israelites had a sanctified location that now in today's age we do as well, and that is God's church. Lastly, God's children are to be distinct and different in their selected leaders. Let's read these last verses. Verse number 18 says, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift or a bribe doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So as we see here at the end of this chapter is God's giving more distinctions and more commands about how they're to select their leaders, their judges. We know that many times the nation of Israel uh, were ones who, instead of going through the system of judges, they wanted what the other nations had, right, which was a king. Um, we see that example back in, in 1 Samuel. The truth is, is many times we want to be like the world, but our calling to ministry or while we are doing ministry is different than the world's. You see, as ministers, we're not necessarily always called to a paycheck, but we're called to pastor. The surrendering sometimes to full-time service maybe can be a misnomer. You see, we're surrendered to a work, and God works out the wherewithal of that work. I can be called to pastor. I'm not necessarily called to a paycheck. I'm called to pastor, to be there for the people of this community. Paul wasn't always full-time. He was a tent maker. Sometimes he refused to take wages of certain churches, Someone who would demand a paycheck, they're, they're not going to do the work, is clueless about God's calling. In fact, the purest definition of one who does the work of God is a hireling, someone who is hired to be a blessing. So the compulsion of our calling, why do we do what we do? I know some of these things are speaking to the specific uh, ministry position, but why do we do what we do in our communities, the people that we influence? What is our compulsion? It's always from above. We're compelled to do our work as to the Lord and honor to men. As we close this tonight, church, we've made it through three chapters. Can I get an amen? We made it through three chapters. That's quite a feat. You guys listening for three chapters is quite a feat. I commend you for that. As we conclude tonight, while this book was originally written to the nation of Israel, I'm thankful we can apply it to our lives today. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And now that we have taken in God's scriptures, I pray tonight that it's built us up. It's given us the opportunity to see, are we having a life, are we living a life of distinction? Are we living a life of difference? Can people tell that you're a believer 
And that's different than your coworker. That the way that you love, the way that you interact with others, is it different? The nation of Israel was called by God to be distinct. God wasn't calling them just to be distinct, just to, just to make life hard on them. But it was to show that his people were a holy people, a set-apart people, just like the God that he is. Let's ask for God's help to apply these truths tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the book of Deuteronomy. Lord, I know that sometimes as, as we approach these books um, in the Old Testament, um, it can take a little bit more time to work through. It can take some, some extra thought to process how this applies to us in today's age. And so, Lord, as we've worked through some of these things tonight, um, Lord, I pray that you'll use these truths to impact our lives this week. Um, God, that we would not come and just be hearers, but God, that we would be doers. Um, God, we want to please you with our lives. I want to see more and more people come to know you through this church, through Rosedale Baptist Church. Lord, more and more people be discipled. More and more people reach others with the gospel. The next generation grabbing the torch and reaching others, Lord. But that won't come unless we apply your word week in and week out. God, may tonight we not just go through the motions and check a box. Um, But Lord, please change us even now. We love you. We thank you for what you've done. In your name we pray, amen.